Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Ugly Ducklings podcast with your hosts Rashida and Bryce Lennon. If you've been scrolling on social media lately, I'm sure you've been seeing all these conversations about Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors and their New York Times photo shoot together. In addition, Jonathan Majors was featured in Ebony Magazine wearing an anime-inspired high-fashion outfit. Of course, Black Twitter emasculated him and called his sexuality into question. I mean, it wouldn't be right if the trolls didn't do it. With all that being said, this leads us to a conversation about Black masculinity and media in our everyday lives. So, what is a man? To lead us in this conversation, we have a special guest, Marquise Devon, aka Keys. Hey, Keys, how's it going? Yeah, how you living? I'm chilling, Pretty chilling. Good. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, yeah. So, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, first and foremost, thank y'all for having me. It's mad dope. I'm excited to like, really get engaging in this conversation, too. So, thank y'all. My name is Marquise Davon. Um, Keese, that's what people call me. Just don't call me Mark, and we'll be cooling. Um, other than that, yeah, educator, activist, um, podcaster, content creator, podcast producer, just a lot of titles, whatever the case may be. Just content creator, multi hyphenate. We're out here. Um, but yeah, born and raised in Reading, Pennsylvania. I've been living in Philly for the last three and a half years now, and it's been real dope. So just a regular old high school English teacher with a podcast. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, welcome. And yeah, thanks again for joining us. So first up, back on to our topic. How would you define masculinity in your own terms? Oh, that's a good question. I've been saying with this for a little bit, but I think masculinity on my own terms would be a person, a man who is able, well, not even masculinity, like masculinity is to me is like an energy. So there is a power behind it. There is a softness behind it there's a full breadth of what a person what a man can be and so for me when I think about the masculine energy energy I'm thinking around somebody who is strong somebody who is resilient but also has a space to like be gentle protect and like navigate that energy a little bit more so when I think around like a man we can be super uninterrupted but we also can be very reserved and know when to take space and when not to take space Valid. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I feel like masculinity and femininity is definitely an energy because I feel like both men, women, non-binary folks can embody masculinity in its broad term, right? But I think when it comes to like Black culture and Black society, we kind of have like pigeonholed ourselves um, into Black masculinity over time. I feel like honestly, it's probably definitely come from slavery, um, which is a whole another conversation but like growing up for myself black masculinity was very much like strength in terms of physical strength um not so much emotional strength right mm-hmm. um also being a protector a provider someone that your family can lean on financially just being an overall support system for the family right um, but we know it's more nuanced than that now i'm fully with you behind that too because it's really just like what does it mean to expand our ideas around masculinity rather than, especially like black masculinity, I think we pigeonhole ourselves into money, power, sexual domination. So like if we're at least being able to provide one of those three things, <laughs> or at least two of the three things, that will suffice for what our masculinity is. But that really just like pigeonholes us and doesn't allow us to like really explore the breadth of humanity. So I think the masculine ideal is be stoic, don't show emotion, be brave at all times. You must be the most confident in the room, X, Y, and Z. But in reality, when you are able to like 
expand on what that is it allows you to express express the fullness of one who men are allowed to be and just as decent human people human beings but also not um allowing us to be lonely so i think oftentimes men are not in community or at least not in an intentional community and because of that we try to navigate stuff on our own that i don't think is necessarily healthy right when did you kind of get that aha moment Oh, wow. Good question. It starts when I played basketball for about five years and I did not like it. <laughs> I played it because my mom, I was like, that was our way to bond. <laughs> and they were just like, well, you got all that height. You need to be a little bit more aggressive X, Y, and Z. But for me, I was just like, I'm playing basketball, but in reality, I just want to play my cello and do theater. Like I really did not care about it, but I did it because like <laughs> it was almost expected of me, but it was also another way for me to bond with my mom, especially as a single parent. She was raising four boys and one girl. And so she had to like instill an idea of masculinity in me, but I was also just like, yeah, I'm going to read books. I'm going to play my cello. I'm going to go on stage and dance. I don't care about doing like the aggressive stuff. Even in basketball, I was not like that overly aggressive person. Even growing up, I didn't want to fight my friends because they were just like, you can't stay hit. You got to fight. And I'm just like, why can't we talk? And I, I remember like crying after like hitting my friend. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And so I think basketball, playing basketball for that long a time was the thing that really showed me. And that was early on. Like I was able to get to like sophomore year of high school and realize like, oh, I actually don't like doing this thing. And I only do this to like impress my mom and impress people who saw me as like, 14 and 6'2". So like, I was like, ah, that's not for me. <laughs> yeah. What about no, you, Bryce? Um, I feel like I share similar sentiments with Quise. Uh I was thrown into not basketball, but football, right? Imagine oh, me in uh, a helmet and shoulder pads. So, um, <laughs> so I mentioned before that I was bullied a lot for my sexuality growing up. And uh, my parents, I definitely felt like used that to kind of toughen me up in a sense uh where I was actually more interested into like the arts and things like that so they threw me into the sports I come I come from a very athletic family anyway um so and also at the time I was bigger in size so I was going out there trying to tackle people wasn't really working um unfortunately I played football up until my junior year of high school and hated every minute of it um and I feel like to answer your question, it wasn't until I was maybe in my mid-20s where I redefined masculinity in my own terms, because when I walk into a room, I know that I'm not the most stereotypically masculine guy there, but I am Bryce, and I embody both feminine qualities, masculine qualities, and that's just me, and I'm still a man, and you can't take that from me, like, it just is what it is. So I would say probably most definitely in my mid-20s. But I won't say that there was actually a period in which I woke up. It might have been me coming to terms with, I feel like there's a lot of parallels, parallels, excuse me, with sexuality and masculinity, especially in the Black culture, our Black culture, excuse me. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Can't, I can't, yeah. Yeah. That was something like even I had to think around, even as I came to my own sexuality and was just like, oh, wait, I'm still a man. But like, you're trying to tell me that I'm less than a man because of who I choose to sleep with. Like, that was like so odd to me of just like I provided I've been working since I was 16 I got my degree I got a job I got benefits I'm a breadwinner I did everything I needed to do and I said that's everything you said was a man but now you're gonna look at me sideways because you know my wrist bends a little bit <laughs> like what and so like to me I'm like that to me was like bugged out because I did everything I needed to do but also 
my family's from South Carolina. So like they're very much so like church folks. So thinking around the church, sexual orientation, masculinity, that all goes into one. So like when they heard my older brother was gay, they said, oh, that boy wasn't raised right. So I hid a lot longer. Like I'm the one that like they're expecting to like do everything. Um, and so I remember even like living with that pressure of just like, well, my extended family's never going to know anything about me because if they were to say like, if they were to question my masculinity, I think that was scary to me because it felt like they would lose respect for me or not even like see me for who I was anymore. So even part of that was like, I'm going to hide a little bit, <laughs> a little longer until I don't have to anymore. So college was my moment to like really like leave and really explore fully who I was. But I do remember as early as that was probably 12 or 13, hearing them say that to my older like yeah this is a little different so I remember as early as that wow it's crazy all of the things that we remember as children I just finished reading this book that is with Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry I believe it's called what happened to you just talks about childhood trauma and different things and like some of the things that happened to us and me and Bryce have talked about this I think even maybe season one where you kind of minimize certain things that happened to you as not traumatic, but they are because something like that, you, you know, like I could completely understand. You're just like, I heard that. And, you know, you just like kind of went about your day, but then like the, like the whole way you're thinking and how you're moving now has been affected for potentially years because of that one statement that was said in front of you or about you or to you. Um, and so it's just, it's just disheartening sometimes because I am not a parent. I would like to be one day, but I think about, you know, raising a son and those things of like when they fall and, you know, you want, oh, let them cry or you're okay, baby. Let me kiss your boo-boo. And then you have some parents are like, nah, don't act like a bitch. Get up. And it's like, this kid is three. Like what? Like, can they cry? No, black, black men can't cry. Black boys can't cry. And that's part of the problem. Cause it, it I feel like low. I'll give you a reason. I'll give you something to cry about. I'll be like, "What? I'm already hurt. Why would you add on to it? Like so confusing." <laughs> exactly, and I feel like uh, black boys who are unable to cry and show emotion at an early age, it builds so much resentment, and then it will eventually come out in other ways, which aren't might, which might not necessarily be the most healthiest ways to cope with things or your emotions. So, yeah. Because even in terms of just like, and I mean, this is a whole nother topic, but just like even for Black men and sexuality, if we encourage Black men to just be who they are and to love who they love, I mean, imagine how many more men would be like freed of all this pressure and these fake marriages and, and different things. And it's like, you don't need to be doing this or because you want to impress your mom, your dad, the church, the family um do what's hap what makes you happy and it's just unfortunate because there is this pressure of I have to be the breadwinner and I have to do I have to be masculine and like it's it just like why though why because at the end of the day mental health for a lot of black people in the black community is pretty terrible you know we're seeing suicide rates and different things like that climb up self-harm but then we're not talking about the bigger picture here so that's why little things which I you know like seeing two black men who are in a movie together smile and have fun and it's like in my mind I internalize that like oh Jonathan Majors and Michael B. Jordan just really bang with each other like I, they're just not like castmates they're friends wow, this is nice. They're really vibing with each other. They're doing this whole, you know, media tour. 
of course they're going to do photos together. That's what I would do with one of my best friends. And now everyone's looking at it like sideways. I'm like, well, what's the problem? They, they're friends. And why wouldn't you be all up on your friend? Like, that's my best friend. Like, <laughs> I think that was like the most fascinating part to me because we see people like, I think around like Wu-Tang Clan. I think about G-Unit. I'm thinking around like all these male groups, but I don't know if we've ever, and I was, I had to go back. I was like, did we ever see them touch more than just like having an arm around each other? Right. And so even as I'm thinking, like, in terms of imagery that I've seen, I think, and the thing is, Jonathan Majors and Michael B. Jordan aren't the first people, aren't the first black men to like be that soft with each other. And so to me, I started thinking, I was like, all right, maybe it's because they were in a movie like Creed, because that is like, it is a violent movie, you're fighting. And so you, this is almost like the epitome of like masculinity is just like brute force, your body is everything that it needs to be. You're strong, like everything. So to see them be so gentle with each other is probably like a very hard juxtaposition of just like, y'all were just kicking each other's asses, but now y'all <laughs> hugging each other, like, and it just doesn't make sense. And so I think like a lot of people are just not used to seeing men be affectionate and intimate in that way. And I don't know if people know intimacy outside of like sex. And so like to hug your boy or to lay your head on, a shoulder it's it brings us something of safety and i don't think a lot of us men are used to like that level of safety in a very platonic way of just like knowing like oh my boy got me no matter what and i can be soft in a way that feels different so i'm not sure i said like people are very unfamiliar with that site and we're very like violent towards what we're not familiar with and so even for us we'll go and attack them because we're just like that's not what society told us this should not be happening. This is not this. And so like a very hard unwiring and unlearning process. But in that unlearning, it tends to be a little bit more violent, whether it's towards self or towards the people who are demonstrating that freeness um, to do that, which is why, like, I think a lot of homophobia runs rampant is like, I think at the core of it is just like, I wish I could be this soft, but the world told me I couldn't be. And you're able to do this. And you are so high on display when you do it, too it makes me mad. So like, I think it's like a, so many different competing ideas, but I think ultimately it is a envy and resentment that like, I was shamed out of being soft. I was shamed out of being gentle. I was beat for being soft and all of that. So I think all of that shows up. So even when you talk around the stuff that we bottle in, it spews over into either self-harm or harming others. Yeah. I feel right. like Or it. isolation. <laughs> you said it eloquently and perfectly. Right. Yeah agree like it is <laughs> that is jealousy at it like at its core to me because there's no reason for especially because you know let's say let's even take it to 2020 you know all of the killings we saw George Floyd Amar Arbery whatever all of the things we continuously see and had seen prior and then we're like you know we need to come together as black people and then this which is not even in like the social rights or civil rights movement but it's just okay we got two actors that like each other are just showing love and you're mad it's like shouldn't we be happy like we're getting killed for nothing out here and black men are not allowed to be old black men i don't get to see a lot of old black men on the street so really? you know just when I mean, anytime i just see like my guy friends just really smiling enjoying themselves it's like very cliche and cheesy i'm just like okay black boy joy is giving black boy you know I just want to see it more because you don't see enough of it. Right. And then if you tie in, I mean, let's tie in colorism. When you think of darker skinned black people, 
in the context of this country, we often throw a masculinity projection onto them. So it's like you have two brown to dark skinned men showing friendship or platonic affection in a photo. The cognitive dissonance is going crazy with people. They're just not used to seeing it. It's like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? This ain't right. Especially with two men who, in my opinion, are the A-list Black men of the Hollywood industry. And yes. from a heterosexual standpoint, especially with when it comes to like love and dating, it's like, and Rashida, maybe you can speak on this more like a Black woman, because everyone's so programming and conditioned, they're like, oh no, these something must be wrong with these two dudes. They must be going together or they must be not as masculine. It's just like, but can they just be friends? Yeah, I think also be, the same way Black men have been programmed of how like masculinity should look. I feel like the same has happened for all women, but you know, specifically since we're talking about Black culture and community, Black women. Um, and I remember a friend of mine once telling me about a girl finding it odd if he went he went somewhere and, and him and his and a, one of the guys shared a bed like head to foot or just you on one and then I'm on the other end. And she thought that that was not cool. And as a result, did not want to continue speaking with him. I think that's strange because what are you insinuating? Like, you don't think two men, like when you think about kids, two black boys, they're 10, like, mom, can I stay over so-and-so's house? We want to play video games. She says, sure. They probably will sleep in the same bed and nothing happens. Okay. And then now we fast forward, especially if we're talking about, two heterosexual men, why are you assuming now that there's something would be going on? Like, and why did you jump there? And I think it's just like, there's no, uh, there's just no wiggle room for closeness. So like you guys have both been saying, there's just this, I don't understand what I'm seeing versus like what I've been programmed to see. And women kind of also feed into that where when they are dating a partner, sometimes there gets to a point where your, your boyfriend maybe is really going through something and cries or really shares something personal is very distraught. And then you're like, oh, you acting like a bitch versus let me hug you, let me embrace you, let me tell you that that is okay. Or even let's say they might embrace and be okay in the moment, but a few months later they throw it in your in their face and say, yeah, you cried, remember that? And it's like, but people cry humans cry that why are you like making this such a an odd occurrence when this person really maybe just needed to let it out real i mean rashida they emasculate your boo drake every day with his songs i know right because he can't talk about and you know drake has been problematic late well i shouldn't say lately in general why are you talking about making a stallion talking oh i wasn't talking about her yes you were but whatever um Let's just go back to our, you know, favorite type of Drake, like so far gone. Like he's talking about the girls that he loved back in the day that played him or was sleeping on him. And then he saw for that. Like y'all all be out here still talking about the girl that crushed your heart in eighth grade. And we are in our thirties. Boo boo. You are hurt too. He hurt just me. is now using an outlet. His outlet was music. You need to find an outlet too. I don't know whether that's you go play basketball, you play video games, you go work out, read a book, color, something. You need to get it out. Something. Because it's <laughs> going to come out regardless. Like you said, it does. and honestly, for a lot of humans in the black community, it comes out for us in unhealthy ways. It comes mm. out because now I'm binge drinking. It comes out because now I'm smoking a lot. It comes out because 
I'm trying different drugs or just getting the arguments with people just because I want to pick a fight because I just have all this bottled up and it has to come out in some way. That's that's on point. That's on point. It's like within the queer community, we often emasculate each other, especially when it comes to like sexual positions as well. And um, I was watching something on TikTok and this young man was saying that like, why is it that whether you're top, bottom, whatever in between, versatile, that people treat you different? And it all boils down to masculinity, that people who are, you know, people, unpopular opinion, but it's the truth. People who are bottoms are often emasculated. And like, uh, which, which show I watch? White Lotus, like old girl said, there's there's mass power bottoms. Like, come on. Yeah. Talk about it. Again, so, <laughs> <tell me>. sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, yo, but that's also a reality too, because I think that's the other intersection to really think about is like, even for me, like being versed, it's just like, all right, I occupy both spaces, but it's also interesting because a lot of people will assume because of being 6'2, 250 pounds, <laughs> darker skin, like there's an assumption of like where I, how I should be and how I should act, and so it's like even funny. Um, watching my students try to like figure out like, well, Mr. Richards, are you, you know, like, are you like gay, gay? Are you sure you're gay? So I've been accused of being a DL straight. Um, <laughs> but it, I was screaming, but it's like so interesting to see like the imagery and their ideas of what is feminine, what is masculine, what how gay people should present versus how that is. So like, I'm quite literally walking in as a cognitive dissonance for these kids because they're just like, well, Mr. Richards, I don't know how you can be, so masculine and like hip-hop and like and it's dumb stuff that they like equate the masculinity but these are tenets of masculinity they believe in and so for me it's like super interesting of like understanding the privilege that comes with that but also at the mm. same time they're like are you sure because it's just so it's like also interesting to like see the limited amount of imagery and versatility that can come within queerness that can come within masculinity and so even for them it's just like, all right, well, it can look so many different ways. And they have like a gradient of gays, of gay black men to like look at at our school. So it's to me, I'm just like, this is so fascinating to like witness, but even seeing it happen as early as 14 years old, 13, 14, and entering in high school, it's just like, wow, interesting. Like I'm thinking around like what what media images do they see of black queer men? How many kind of black men are they witnessing on television? Because media is also raising these kids. And so, like, is it always going to, because they use little Nas X as, like, their barometer. Well, maybe I'm not, like, a little Nas X, but maybe you're like this, right? And so it's, like, so odd to see, like, their entry point into the conversation. And so that's why, even for me, like, seeing the media, but also understanding the humanity behind these children, because they don't mean harm, but it's just, like... Uh, we got some things to like teach you so you don't think that it can only look one way but even my presence just simply being there will force them to like engage and be like oh i have to actively remember like mr richards is not straight like how does that work yeah mm. mm-hmm. that's real what do you think about and this is a question actually for both of you um because we obviously are talking to you about initially michael b jordan and jonathan majors but when we just think about television and movies today, do you feel like there is even a better spectrum or range of seeing black, queer, gay men on the screen? And like from what you have seen, 
are you like, oh my God, like this is tr- like ridiculously like not realistic at all versus like, oh, okay. Like some of the things that they're talking about or the way that they are portraying this, I can identify with. Yes and no for me. I feel like in terms of characters and storylines, yes, because you have shows like Pose where people are flip-flopping roles. You got P-Valley. P-Valley had everyone in the chokehold, but not me because I feel like that's what, hey, this is what happens. Like people who feel like, you know, masculine presenting men are supposed to do certain things in the bedroom when, uh, what's my man's name? The rapper from P-Valley? Lil Murder. Little yeah. murder when he was doing every any everything with Uncle Clifford. Uncle Clifford in itself is a think piece, okay? Had everyone <laughs> in the chokehold when they showed his erect penis, Rule all these things. 75. People, no, exactly. <laughs> people were stressed out. But when it comes to like actors, I still feel like there's an agenda to push hyper-masculine men in the industry and to be like sex symbols as well, because there hasn't been too many times where I've seen a sex symbol that was a feminine presenting black man who still holds on to his masculinity, except for, and this man is not queer, was Prince. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's and maybe Miguel. Right. I said, Miguel, you're a little fluid, but no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I love that question because I think around one, different representations of masculinity. And so for me, I go immediately to like, grand crew like that show has a breadth of different black men but you would see like more of like the working the middle class black men in that space whereas Mm -hmm. something like a p valley little murder i was like there are things i can relate to of like being somewhat of a public figure but also being masculine presenting also was like for me i was just like oh i can see parts of myself not all of myself because that's not about that life but parts of myself (laughs) in this character and then even when I think around um, um, Lawrence and the different men from Insecure, or if we even go to Watchmen and um, Lovecraft Country, both were older gay black men, both dark-skinned black men in both of those spaces of like the original, I forget the um, superhero's name, but in that black and white episode, he was black and queer, but he had to live in secret. Mm-hmm. Same thing with um, the father from um, Lovecraft Country. Yeah. It wasn't until he was able to feel that free to express his sexuality. But even in those moments, it's just like, dang, like, does the black, does the dark skinned masculine guy always have to like live in secret? And when, when he does finally arrive, does that result in his death? Right. Or does that result in him going into hiding? And so when I think around media portrayals, going through different shows and even just the expansive form of masculinity. I think about Paperboy and um, the characters from Atlanta, Earn. Yeah. There's such a breadth of masculinity. I don't know if they fully got like the expansion of, of queer ma- queerness and Black masculinity, yeah. but I do think that they're starting to like push more character stories and more expansive ideas of what Black men can look like. And so I think once we're out of like an overcorrection of what was a deficit, we'll see this kind of just be normalized across the board in terms of like different black men and us not being like, oh, well, he must be gay. Like, no, that's just another black man walking around, right? Right. (laughs) So we're not at that part of the conversation, but I think they're pushing to see softer black men be represented because before we were, I believe the statistic, we were 56 of us were represented in television, were thugs, criminals, in prison. And so if you have that media portrayal 
and that being a vast majority, then most people's first inclination is to think, oh, well, all Black men must be this one way. If that's like their first thing, um, first interaction with Black men. Yeah. No, I mean, it's obviously a very different topic, but I feel the same even with we are getting there with like the portrayal of black women on television of, mm. you know, in some instances now you're seeing the dark skinned black woman that is portrayed as the, the love interest. She's beautiful. Okay. She's soft. She's not ghetto and ratchet with, you know, like, and those are like those little things that are happening over time. I think there still is a lot of improvement, but because we're having more shows that are being written and produced by black people, of course, that's usually where it has to happen. We have to do it. Now you're starting to see like, a, a larger scope of what black women can look like on television and even another comment like just more for me in my real life is you know as a tall woman because I am 6'2 there is a level of masculinity that that is like put on me without me even saying anything and mm -hmm. I mean Bryce has been a witness to it and many times I've just been out and about where people are like wow you're intimidating or wow like you must be a lesbian because you are a tall woman so you must be masculine you must you know and I'm like what like so there is a lot of things that people have to unlearn of why they attribute certain like masculine features with like certain sexual preferences or orientations I was going to say Black women really got it tough in that regard. Shout out to the tall Black girls, especially the brown, dark skin Black girls. Shout out to um, them. Yeah, shout out to them. Because <laughs> <laughs> nah, the reality is like, it to me, it always reminds me of just like, there is like, y'all don't have the opportunity to be the damsel in distress. A lot mm. of you don't believe like y'all are worthy of protection because, well, no, if you this big, you can take that nigga too. Da, 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 da. And you just like, right. nah, like, I mean, I want to be protected too. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> so it is, it is bugged out because even as we think around, like the darker you are, the more masculine you are to be, that affects black women in the very same way. And so it's just like, even the idea of colorism, black men will be fetishized and hardened, but black women will just as much deal with different aspects like offshoots of transphobia because they're just like, well, you must be a man if you're this big then. And we saw this with Serena, right? Like mm -hmm. yeah. throughout the whole time. But now we see like there wants to be a cultural shift, but there is still this idea because if it happened to Meg, she's not worthy of protection, right? That's what the world, that's what was yes. registered to the yeah. world. Mm -hmm. And as you're going through these conversations and your experience, I've seen that happen to personal friends. So like, I see you. You're great. You're worthy of protection. <laughs> no one told you. Thank you. And you know, honestly, what you said literally, I was like, oh my goodness, like, have you just been in my head? Because that is truly like a real life example of someone like, oh yeah, you could take that nigga. And I'm like, um, what? Like, I'm not a fighter. And why do I all of a sudden don't require any saving or help or just like, just help at the bare minimum. And it is very true. Like you said, that, that, um, the way that I guess men perceive, especially darker skinned, tall women. And I've even said to my friends and they've kind of looked at me like surprised in some instances where I've said also, um, like, I don't believe that as a woman, a black woman who's tall, you can't be big and tall. I don't really believe that you are allowed to do that. I mean, obviously mm. there are big and tall women that exist in this world, but one, the clothes don't even exist for us. So that's one thing. But the way men I've seen men like act toward women who are like a maybe my height, maybe even a little shorter, but like bigger plus size, thick women and the way that they are kind of looking 
looked at in such a negative light and oh you're just so unattractive is really like wow like this girl ain't do nothing she just walk in the room she just mind her business supermarket and everyone feels so compelled to talk down on this big and tall woman and it's like well there's big and tall men and we don't say anything a lot of women like it oh you can you're like a linebacker I like a teddy bear I, I don't think sometimes women get the same um opportunity to still be soft in that Mm-hmm. That's real. Yeah, a lot of times I got the linebacker comments. I'm just like, stop calling me a linebacker. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I, no, but I hear what you're saying too. Like that's very real. There's been times where she we where we've been out, and even like certain colors you've worn. Like Rashida loves wearing pink, but someone I heard someone say, Oh, she got on pink. Why is she wearing pink? She can't wear pink. <laughs> like for real, that's what we're doing now. That's too soft. It's too soft. <laughs> It's too soft. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all are walking that clearly because the colorism part, I think also black people need to get a hold on. Like mm -hmm. first thing, let's accept that there is a problem. We have a problem in the black community with colorism. 100%. And a lot of people try to act like there is not a problem in that when they make certain jokes, like, oh, you acting light skin. What does that mean exactly? Why are you mm. saying that? And it's like, you know, I'm just joking. It's like, but why? Like, what does that really mean? Or when people make jokes about, you know, I've heard black women say, yeah, I used to get called like tar baby. It's like, that's not funny. Why do you think somebody would think that was funny? Um, or even some of my guy friends, I'm like, you know, you only like women that are like high yellow. This doesn't that seem a little like you don't like nothing else. And it's like, because you've been conditioned by media, you know, like you only want to like a certain type of chick, but don't at some point you have to grow up like do, not that those women don't deserve love but you can also look at a brown skin or a dark skin black woman and they be pretty and not care for the co-signing of your friends and family right you Just know one person looks that's what that is you know one person that had people in the show hole for a long time and probably still do michaela cole yes because that woman yes. is stunning and tiana taylor too but I feel like because they're darker skin, they have a darker skin complexion and they have less European features that they're often getting pinholed as masculine. They look like men, the face is strong. And I feel like they got supermodel faces. So when you well, you remember what they did to Tiana Taylor, Tiana Taylor, Ari Lennox, Michaela Cole, they compared them to dogs. Remember that that happened on Twitter. Yeah. And so it's just like, even as you think around the more Afrocentric features, it now gets into texturism. It does. It gets into featureism. And it's just like, oh, well, if your Negro nose is a little too wide, if your hair is just a little too kinky, if your lips are a little too big, like all of that stuff plays a role. And so it's just like when people are so indoctrinated with like the European beauty standard, it does have to require like an ever uh, active unlearning and an active like resistance to being like oh you're ugly for me i'm just like i can't call black people ugly i said now nah, there's some funny looking white people but i cannot call black people ugly Fair. it does not sit right in my spirit Fair. <laughs> you, oh, you different. i love that <laughs> but like i do find it a little bit more difficult because i'm just like all right is this the world is this what the world told me was supposed to be good looking is this where what the world told me to be ugly like what does that thing look like and so and it's hard because like we're all consistently like unlearning, but there is like, you know, your initial reaction, then you'd be like, hold on, Marquise, let me stop back real quick, <laughs> real quick. 
and then like reapproach. So for me, I've even found myself just being like, all right, well, this person's not necessarily my cup of tea, but it's for somebody else, right? And I'm like, I have trouble like really just making another person feel bad because I'm just like, you have no control over how you look. So like for me, I'm just like, you got to find like a little beauty in whatever that thing is. And so because we've all been called something like mm-hmm. I, I, as a kid, they try to say, well, Marquise, you go, you know, you got like Jay-Z lips. You, you know, you're a little, you little look, you little dark. And I was like, what? What does that even mean? And to me, I'm like, Jay-Z's not ugly, but I'm just like, as a kid, we knew that they all thought Jay-Z and Beyonce meant you were the ugly one if you were called Jay-Z or if you resembled Jay-Z. And so I was just like, I hated that. So for me, even then, I'm just like, no, Jay-Z's not ugly. Like, y'all are bugging. I just don't know if y'all like more Black, explicitly Black features on a person. So like, those are things I think about a lot, especially as like, I'm growing up, but also as an adult and how I engage with other people, because I'm just like, I don't want to cause like any Black person to feel bad or cause harm to a Black person who like has no control over like, whether it's looks, personality. Now, I do sometimes ask the question. I said, are you pretty or are you light-skinned? I'm not sure yet. But <laughs> um, I think that is like just the offshoot of just like, is this colorism? Am I dealing with this? How have I dealt with it? Um, and all of that stuff. So those are just like, it's such like a mind boggle to like go through it. But I think as Black people begin to get used to that kind of exercise, you then begin to um unlearn and actively challenge against what we perceive as the quote-unquote norm yeah I feel like that is one of the biggest takeaways I think some of our listeners can take away from today of unlearning and just being aware of that because like I said there you're right there's so many things that we have subconsciously our whole lives been seeing as kids on television with even cartoons of how like the pretty boy or the pretty girl are portrayed in terms of black culture. So then that's what you'll like look for feature wise, even if that's really not what you're attracted to, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, and so I think that is what happens, unfortunately. When I, when I think about my perspective as a brown skinned black woman, I'm like, or and tall, there's certain men that you know, like you're attracted to me, but you would never date me because mm-hmm. what we've been taught to date is small, petite, light, very dainty. Um, And so it's like, really think and sit with yourself. Okay, do I like this girl because I actually like her, her qualities, what she, how she makes me feel when we hang out? Or do I like her because I essentially have been told this is what I should like? Now that's real. Definitely getting out the program because like you said, we've all been conditioned and programmed from birth at this point. Right. Yeah. And when you tie it back then to masculinity, it's like, okay, this man just dresses nice. He's walking down the street. Oh, he get, take a second. Is he, or is that you projecting? Why can't he have pearls on? Why can't he have his hair done a certain I way? love the trend of black men wearing pearls. It's my yeah. favorite thing. Pearl boy. Pearl boy over here. Okay. You know, black I men can't go to brunch together. That's like, oh. a, it's like a whole Twitter thread, bro. Black men can't go to brunch together. They can't drive around in convertibles. I'm like, well, damn, I ain't masculine at all. That's all my shit. Wow. They see <laughs> the video for Otis with Jay-Z and Kanye. I thought we, oh, Lord, these boys, come on. Black men can't wear crop tops, but I sure enough be wearing them. I mean, hey, you know, it is what it is. It's interesting that um some men still choose to have some of these like rules for themselves because if 
you just do like a one person rule. If I go on a lot of these reality TV shows or even someone like a Kid Cudi, their nails are painted. They're wearing mm -hmm. their hair in different colors. Um, what's his name? Ezekiel Elliott from the, the Cowboys. He always got a crop top on. What, like at this point, if you're looking for hyper masculine men or masculine men in general or like or heterosexual men to like validate like they're doing it so like what are you so afraid of just be especially if that's what you want to do just do it i mean look at dennis Rodman in the 90s i mean he married himself in that white gown so to me i think it's also interesting too because like it was kimberly foster and she had mentioned um I believe it was her who mentioned it. No, it was FD Signifier. And he was talking around like all of like the men, the sexiest men alive and all the black men were like brown skin, dark skin, but they were always seen as like softer. So you see them in like softer lighting. You see them in more like neutral clothing. You see them in something that's a little bit more comfortable. So like even then, does that indicate that like comfort is what people are ultimately desiring? And safety and coziness in a black man is what people are esteeming as sexy because it's not the one with the shirts ripped off and the extra chiseled body and all of this stuff. And so it then reinforces like, all right, am I looking, what qualities am I looking for in a black man? And it's looking beyond, beyond the look. So if, at least does this person make me feel safe? Does this person make me feel seen? Does this person make me feel comfortable? Like all of those things matter. And can I be like cozy with this person? is what all of like these sexiest men alive like images have been they're around plants they're around like couches they're around like neutrals and it's so like it's so soft in that imagery but it's so interesting that they don't hypersexualize in like the sexiest man alive kind of images for black men it's actually the thing that's desired about them is like the softness and so it does make me wonder like all right, are we always going to be looking for the bad boy and the one who's like the hyper-masculine? Or as we get older, the people we tend to partner are those who are a little bit more emotionally full, those who are a little bit more emotionally mature and intelligent, and the ones who are a little bit more cozy and comfortable for us. And so it does make me wonder, like, is this an immature idea around like what desirability actually looks like versus what people are actually settling down with? And I think that's the conversation we need to be having is, is like who am I choosing to be in community with is it the overly hyper masculine person or is it somebody who's just like very comfortable comfortable and what their masculinity looks like and how it presents but there's an even killed balance of masculine and feminine energy and so I would argue that the masculine and feminine balance is the men who tend to be um picked or even the men who are like in relationships longer um whether it's same gender or even um heteronormative and so like I'm thinking around that a lot more and that's something I've just been thinking around is like who is actually getting picked for longevity and who is just like a good time but not here for a long time <laughs> yes yeah and I think you're right about that um I don't know how this has been normalized but like when you're growing up it does appear especially when I think about high school the guys that the girls liked when you think about it now, you're like, they, there were no signs by based on their behavior that they were going to be doing anything great, right? So mm -hmm. you're just like, okay, why are people picking them? And it must be a, on that whole bad boy. But as you said, as we get older, that changes. Perfect example to me is someone like Future. Future, attractive man, you know, he's famous, got a lot of money. I feel like there's no, he probably has no problem attracting women and wanting women wanting to spend time with him. But after chicken wing and fries, we don't go on dates and, you know, suck my dick, suck my dick. Da, 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 da. You're like, I'm tired. 
this nigga is not doing anything for me. Let me go get me a Russell Wilson. Like, how many times do I have to be burned by this toxic masculinity so then be say like I need a balance. There has to be some part of you that can cater to me, that can be soft, that can tell me that you love me and actually care about me in public in front of your friends. Yes. That starts to get old when you can't even show like that kind of love and attention to me, like in private or in public. Look, Ari Lennox said, Don't date these niggas till you're 43. <laughs> till they're 43. Yes. And I believe it. I said Jay-Z had to put out. 444 to show us that he had some form of like emotional growth so we shouldn't have to start seeing like emotional growth and stability by the time we're past our 40s if we make it to our 40s it should be a little bit more normalized in our 20s and our 30s and honestly sometimes like even younger so like how does that become the norm and how do we like redefine what a healthy masculinity looks like or redefine what um what can be deemed as sexy because now the nerds are in, right? <laughs> like the yes. ones who don't have the overly yes. physical bodies are in. And so it is like that conversation around like desirabil desirability versus longevity. And like, how has that started to shift a lot more? Dad bods are in. I don't want the overly chiseled body. The nerds are in. I don't want the athlete all the time because we know what comes with that. So I think those are um, intentional conversations, but also like for listeners just to take away from them, just like, am I a whole person or am I just like a vessel who needs to chisel this body regularly to like exist? Um, and still like, if that's your thing, that's your thing. I, I ain't gonna hold you. I wish I had like right. a couple abs here and there and my chest was a little bit more built. But in reality, I know like my character is what's gonna keep me in a longer relationship, whether it's friendships, platonic or um, romantic relationships. So I think that's like the biggest thing is just like, can you differentiate the two? And do you know one can fade while the other must sustain? Period. <laughs> Period. Because listen, yeah, I don't trust anyone that praises future and bashes Russell. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. The period. I'd be jumping around a dirty sprite too. But please, if I had to pick between the two of these two men, it would be Russell Wilson every day. Like y'all could call him corny all y'all want. I'm also, can we stop calling good black men corny? Like that's also troublesome. Um, but I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole. I had another question, Quiz, for you, like with your men, male friends, um, whether they are queer, gay, you know, heterosexual, regardless of sexual orientation. How do you feel like you're trying to navigate building the community where when people are trying to unhealthily fall into these tropes of ma black masculinity trying to pull people out of it or not necessarily that you have to pull them out but at least just making them aware of like you know what you said was kind of like toxic and i ain't got no problem calling it out i'm gonna keep it a ah. <laughs> i ain't got no problem calling it out um but i think the first part is understanding that sometimes there are a couple things that black men need at times and i think one of the first things black men need is permission and so, like, for me, I am a hugger. They, my, I average 20 hugs a day with, like, I teach at all boys high school. 20 boys each morning must give me a hug before they can start their day, right? So starting off young, but also, like, my friends know, like, for me, if I'm going to do some physical touch, I'm going to hug you. And I'm going to, and I hug you for seven seconds because that's a proper hug to release like, your endorphins. Oh. So, like, giving permission Ooh. to, like, actually be soft and, like, live in that is one of them. I think the other part, I said permission. The other part is guidance. Like, um, 
I, I worry that boys and young men are like, well, Andrew Tate or Kevin Samuels. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> but they are looking for somebody who is not necessarily demonizing masculinity. They are mm. looking for somebody who is demonstrating what masculinity can look like. So right now the manosphere is like men first, men first, men first. And so let me make sure men are good rather than, but that's like anti-woman, anti-non-man, right? But what I try to do is just like show guidance of like, I still embody masculinity, but here's how I do it. And here's what has worked for me. And if this works for you, like feel free to follow my content, feel free to like DM me. But even in my own circles, they're just like, if they're going through something, they're like, yo, Keith, I need to talk. And so I'm known for like, I'll FaceTime for two hours and sit there and have a good conversation or I'll go out of my way. Like my one boy was going through it. So I was like, all right, let me take this train up to New York real quick. Like it's like an hour and a half ride. But like, that's what that to me is like showing up and like knowing like it is okay to like break down. And so, and mind you, these, my friends are all over the spectrum. So straight, queer, questioning, all over. So for me, it doesn't, it that has never played a part in terms of like how intimate we were and so yeah. I think that's the other part that I'm just like the permission and the guidance are like super super necessary um for black men to have and then it is beginning that unlearning process so now your patience like yeah you said something messed up but you got to know how to like navigate conflict resolution and so I know like it took me I was just saying this on a recording on a um, interview I did yesterday me and my boy were just in conversation with each other and he was just like I I like took it and I was like oh yeah it took me around 10 years to like fully get to like where I'm at now <laughs> and just like at 27 this is who I am at 17 I was a very different person who was just starting that process and so understanding that the unlearning process will not happen overnight and like also understanding my capacity what are my non-negotiables like I don't do well with abuse so I'm just like Somebody else has like that threshold, but that is my non-negotiable. Like, do not put your hands on people. I do not like that stuff. And so um, my patience for that kind of man will be very like minimal Very versus like somebody who is like sexist, misogynist. I'm like, we can start unlearning these things because we just need a starting point. And where does that goalpost look like for you to stop doing this? And whether that's acquired, giving them language, emotional vocabulary, space to navigate emotions all of that stuff is necessary but if you're not even emotionally at least intelligent in yourself we're just gonna kind of run on a rabbit on a um hamster wheel and so yeah i think it is equipping with like emotional vocabulary giving men permit giving black men permission and also serve giving some black men guidance if that is what they need at that time because they only may have seen masculinity displayed in one way and does not look to see other forms of what this can look like and be possible for them. I feel like that's like a perfect way to close, but I have one other question I, I want to ask you because of what you just said. So for you as a child um, and teenager, how were you able to even figure out what masculinity looked like? You said you grew up within a single parent household. It was just your mom. You know, you had an older brother or brothers, are you the youngest of the boys? I'm the middle of the five. I'm middle okay. of five. <laughs> okay. middle. So you have some older siblings, younger siblings. Um, like, but how did you even feel like did you get a lot of real life application with family or just friends of family on what masculinity should look like? 
Yeah. Um, I look at my pop-up Leroy. I used to spend summers with him and we used to go fishing. So he taught me discipline. He taught me patience. He taught me understanding. Um, he really taught me a lot. And so sitting there on the Delaware and like just waiting to catch a fish, he was just like, this is how life kind of operates sometimes. And so like that, I'm like my pop-up Leroy's biggest fan. I'm just like, wow. So I was able to like learn how to clean the vents. I knew how to cut out a fish and clean out a fish. He taught me like all of this stuff that was just like stereotypically like masculine, but it was like a different form of just like he talked and he listened and he just kind of let me just imagine and be. And so I think my pop-up Leroy was really important in that. Um, and then a lot of my examples were just like what a man wasn't supposed to be. So like my stepfather, I was just like, I did not like that man at all because I was just like, you are everything that I don't believe a man is like. And so I didn't respect it. So for me, my idea of masculinity came from what men shouldn't do. The foundation came from my pop-up, but what men shouldn't do is where mine came from. And yeah. then um, in eighth grade, when I met my eighth grade English teacher, Mr. Callback, great Christian white man, wonderful human. Uh, <laughs> but that was English teacher. He allowed me, he was one of the first people to truly like give me space to navigate what was going on in my home. And like that freedom to just like, talk about stuff and I could not do that because my mom was just like y'all don't say nothing to your teachers you don't say nothing outside of what's going on you know black people we keep that in yes. but for me it was just like taking on um, an addict for a step parent but also like navigating keeping up in good grades trying to like maintain a relationship with people maintaining my friendships so my friends became a really big piece of like how I had to navigate and I had a lot of really strong female friends growing up too so like all those women really helped me I saw what they were going through and I sat in conversation with them and was just like all right so here's what I can do to protect here's what I can do to make sure I don't do this stuff seeing it at home and then looking at my pop-up and then looking at my eighth grade English teacher it really shaped a lot of like who I was to be and even like having to unlearn the stuff that my mom was trying to do because she had an idea of what masculinity should be but she taught me a lot of like hyper masculinity because she says you're still in the hood. So you got to make sure you don't get like bullied either. And so she did her best with what she had. Um, but even in that, I could, there are things where I'm just like, I can take that. I'm gonna leave that. I'm gonna take this. I'm gonna leave that. <laughs> <laughs> and so my idea of masculinity really came from like um, different men at different periods. My pop up, the foundation, my brother's dad the antithesis of what I wanted it to be um, a basic idea of masculinity but who was in the form of an English teacher showed me how to like imagine and then my women though my close female friends showed me like what it looks like to truly take care of those who may be who may not have as many privileges but also are just like physically weaker than um, other men so for me it was just like a very all-encompassing thing in terms of like where I got today <laughs> in terms of my masculinity. Yes. No, I, I love what you said. I mean, cause it is a little bit of take what you want and then throw away what you don't want. And like, it's just life does that for us in many ways. Thank you for sharing all this in general. Oh yeah. No, thank you all for having me. I was like, we got, we got to give permission. Sometimes telling a story is really just giving permission and it, it'd be hard. Cause I'm just like, Y'all need to know about my personal life, but also somebody hearing this might need to see, like, can I relate to this? And how did he get here? So just being a little bit more transparent has been helping me, but I hope it's also been like just giving other people space to think and reflect.
Yeah. And I feel like uh, for some of our listeners, maybe you just need a nice little virtual hug right now. Because That's all it is. That's all it is. That's seven all it seconds. Is. Seven seconds. <laughs> yes. I didn't yes. know that seven part. Seconds. Seven seconds and a good squeeze. Like solid. solid hug. Yes. Seven seconds. Seven seconds and a good squeeze. Don't give mm-hmm. little uh, little church pats. Like that means you just get off me. But like. <laughs> I be giving church pads. It's all good. I'll be seven <laughs> seconds in squeeze. I do. I give real hugs to my friends though. But yeah, for like people that I kind of know, I like. Oh, you give them a little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't be trying to transfer some energy to my my way. So I just. Ooh, like, yeah. Some people barely just get a head nod. Like, what a! Don't touch me. <laughs> That's also real. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much. Please plug your social media, podcast, whatever you want so that people can find you. Yes. Um, check me out, Marquise Davon across all social media. That is M-A-R-Q-U-I-S-E-D-A-V-O-N. TikTok, Twitter, Twitter. I stay in the Twitter streets. Instagram <laughs> can all be there. Um, also YouTube, Marquise Davon Productions. I'm I launched a show called Keeping It a Bean. So whereas like this American Negro is about bridging academia in the hood, keeping it a bean allows me to just be a little bit more like free in terms of like pop culture and like um, music, film. I get to get in my theater bag and just things that may be on my mind. So it just allows me to just like have a little bit more like loose content that doesn't have to be overly produced as well. Um, And I get to sit there and just talk about coffee sometimes, too, because I really like coffee. So uh, we are totally out here. But yeah, other than that, that's me. Um, catch me in Philly if you're ever around. I got an event called Due Diligence as well. So that's going to be coming back in May. And so we just take local artists and we dissect their project as if they were like a Beyonce or a Hove, but we do it with like local artists because they also deserve that same amount of due diligence on their own projects because yes, artists matters right. too. So <laughs> that's me. <laughs> yes, thank you for that. Okay, y'all go follow him. I'm gonna go follow you too. Thanks, Bryce, for this connection and their dope individual on the podcast. Um, So thanks for joining us. Thanks, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of the Ugly Ducklings podcast. And we will be back next week. Peace. Later.